2: Hey, it's Doug Gottlieb, and welcome in to this week's version of All Ball. All basketball, all the time. Uh, My boy Jake is going to join us upcoming in about 10 minutes or so. Um, You can follow him on Twitter at MindRidePro. We're going to have a a deep dive discussion into Markel Fultz and his shooting issues. I'll I'll tell you a little bit about mine, what happened to me, what it actually feels like. I watch Markel Fultz and I'm sad just because I think inside the exterior of a talented young athlete, uh that, that brain and the body are fighting and they're not working together. And that's why to this point we haven't seen the talent that he had coming out of the University of Washington just spending one year there. And and to people who are like, well, you know, everybody should have known and like, all right. All I can tell you is I had friends that conducted those workouts, those pre draft workouts, and they all said that, you know, Lonzo Ball's a nice player, but uh, but Markel Foltz was the best guard they had in. They had in. Um, And obviously what happens is when you look at Utah and you got a guy who has the type of success that they've had there. I mean, n- now, in addition to the Jason Tatum trade looking like a bad trade, which I thought it was at the time, then you look at Donovan Mitchell, who's an all-star caliber guard in only his second year, another guard that – Put Donovan Mitchell on the Philadelphia Seventy Sixers. Now, I would tell you that Donovan Mitchell might not have become Donovan Mitchell had he been drafted by the Seventy Sixers. Some of it's about the the opportunity you get because Gordon Hayward was gone, and and because of all the other moving parts they had last year, he got to play earlier and had great confidence. Played with that great confidence, a place for a coach that knows how to get find mismatches for him. But I can tell you, to a man, the people I've worked out were all like Markovitz is really good. Now, other people like Tatum better. There were people who liked Donovan Mitchell equally. Thought he was different, but to anyone who says like, "Well, you know," there's De'Aaron Fox and Lonzo Ball. Mar- Markel Fultz was seen as the better guard, the the better guard, but it didn't happen, and now he has this kind of mental block, and it's it's a it's a paralyzing feeling. It's one, and I hope he pulls out of it, but it's one where. I can't even go back and watch my college games. And I was a good, really good college player, but I had these severe bouts with some sort of performance anxiety shooting the basketball. It manifested itself mostly in the free throw line, but that's because I could control it except when he got fouled. And then, you know, I'd almost never shoot threes or very reluctant threes, and then some days I'd just have it. I'd come out, and I almost wish, like, my coach... I I, I wish, in hindsight, uh, three things had happened. I wish one, I had an open dialogue with my coach where I said, hey, hey, listen, tell me what shots I can take and miss and still stay in the game. Come to an agreement there and I will only take those shots. Like in the NBA, they called getting to your spots. If I could have shown him where my spots were on the floor that I can make it every time because I, the, the performance anxiety really was based upon I didn't want to come out and I felt like if I missed, I came out. That was how my, my mind worked. Just how it worked. Even was a good shot. And then ultimately, it became a self fulfilling prophecy where I would, I would reluctantly shoot a shot, knowing that if I missed, I was going to come out, but assuming I was going to miss, and I would miss, and so I'd come out anyway, <laughs> which is just the weirdest thing. So I, I wish I had open dialogue. I also wish I, in addition to that open dialogue, I could, if I was still battling it, I could go to a coach or go to my coach at the start of a game, and like, hey. I don't have it today. I, I don't have the anxiety today because there were times in which it wasn't there and I felt great. In summation of my own kind of shooting issues and, and there's other parts that come with it, right? Like um, not all of it is performance anxiety. Some of it is just shooting wise. You just don't evolve. And, you know, oftentimes when you're a freshman in college, I think, college coaches have to know, really know your game and help develop your game, but also go back to your bread and butter. What are the shots that made us want to recruit you here? And when I played for John McLeod, he never really invested. I mean, we, I always shot going to my left off a of pick and roll. I had to learn. I can shoot going right, but I was really – uh, I, I watch I remember watching Sedale Three play for the Lakers when I was in, when I was in high school back when the Lakers were down and Sedale Three always shot off the dribble going to his left and I kind of like emulated that. And yet um, we ran it was called uh, I think it was either two side or three side I think it was called three sides like a UCLA pit UCLA screen into a ball screen for me and Pat Garrity. And I'm telling you the dude only ran it on the left side of the court to my right hand. Until finally, like end of March, last game I ever played for him in the regular season or before he played Syracuse last game of season, he finally ran it to my left hand side. Those type of things. So I do think that some of of it is when you're young, getting a coach that understands you, runs things for you, doesn't change when you get to the NBA. Find a guy's spots, get him into those spots. But if I was the Sixers, I would have, I would have, I'd probably put him in the G League now and just go like, hey, dude, when you're open, you're going to shoot. And if you don't shoot when you're open, you're going to come sit. Because, and we'll talk with Jake Roushbach in a second about it, but it just feels like they're approaching this as if it's a physical problem. And I think the more you watch Markel Fultz, you realize it's a mental problem. All right, let's get into a couple things hoop-wise. If you're watching college basketball, you may have seen Villanova just get lambasted. By Michigan, and uh, to a certain extent, Michigan's gone through this at various times here recently with their success in the NCAA tournament. When you're successful in the NCAA tournament, you're going to lose one or two more guys than you thought you would to the NBA draft. For example, D- Dante Divincenzo goes from last year's team. Right, if all things are equal, you knew you're going to lose Miles Bridges, you knew you're going to lose Jalen Brunson. Um, but you, you lose Amari Spellman, kind of a, I don't know if you knew you'd lose him after one year, and Dante DiVincenzo. If either one of them return, especially if Dante di- returns. And remember, he he didn't really play the point last year, and he's he's explosive as hell. I, I I'm not doubting his talent. I'm surprised at how well and how quickly he's assimilated to the NBA early. But I just thought he would come back and run the team for a year and be the guy before he would go. If one of those two, or if they both come back, Nova's a top-10 team. Otherwise, now you're re- you're replacing not only personnel, you're replacing culture. And that's really hard to do. It just is. As much as Kong Gillespie and Eric Pascal and Phil Booth had been there, that's just like three guys. Everyone else has kind of been watching this thing take place. And it becomes like multiplicity, copy of a copy of a copy. And that doesn't mean that they're going to be sitting there shaving their tongues or talking about their peppy. But uh, I just it does not feel like this is a team or didn't feel coming into the season like this was a team that anyone had any idea how they would react, including Villanova. We've seen him be blown out before. You know, you go back three years ago when they won the national championship and they handed Oklahoma the worst loss in the history of the Final Four. They were blown, but when they were blown out by that in that Oklahoma game, they just missed a ton of shots, just missed everything. And Oklahoma hit a ton of shots. Whereas against Michigan, Michigan just looked physically and completely dominant in the game. Speaking of physically and completely dominant, are you enjoying watching Duke yet? I mean. Lost in is how well Cam Reddish is shooting the basketball and how good a prospect he is. But man, is Zion fun to watch. I do think that the more we go on, that playing against good competition, we'll let's see how he does wearing down that hot gym in Maui. But I also think that Duke will shoot the ball, as most teams do, really, really well in those high school rims. But there are so many of you out there, and I'm not one of them, that are Duke haters that suddenly now are, are feeling like you got a rash because... You can't believe you found yourself cheering for Duke. Or at least all gaga-eyed over watching Zion play. Watching him defend, watching him get out and run, watching him shoot, watching him dunk. And you're like, man, I wish we had that guy. It's a weird feeling to watch somebody who you really can't wait to watch and then play for a team that you used to like to see lose. LeBron James looked amazing. I mean, amazing on Wednesday night. Uh, he drops, what, 44 points, nearly has a triple-double. He's shooting the uh, the highest percentage he's shot in, uh, or oh, no, he's averaging more points than he has since 2010 and playing fewer minutes than he has at any point in his career. And so somebody, my, somebody might say to me, I've listened to your previous All Ball podcast and you were killing LeBron. No, I wasn't. I was saying, I was waiting for a moment like this where he was just like, hey, guess what? I can go get 40. And he did. I think LeBron's shown improvement within the Lakers system. I think the Lakers are showing improvement. And the fact that it happened against the Portland Trailblazers, who don't have the same energy on the road, and it's not going to be the same energy as the first game of the season, but to show the difference in the Lakers then and now, tangible. Really, really tangible. Trending in the right direction. Markel Fultz is an amazing test subject. Here's a kid, number one pick. And they're not guarding him. He's in self-check. And Drew Hanlon tried to work with him in the offseason, and it seems to be getting worse, not better. Now he's got a double hitch on his free throw. Before I talk to Jake about anxiety in sports, let me tell you about Audible. Discover the easiest way to juggle binging on content you love while doing your favorite activities with Audible. Listening to Audible's unmatched selection of audiobooks, original audio shows, news, comedy, and more allows users to experience new journeys without having to drop what they're doing. Any book can be heard on the go, like John Grisham's new one, The Reckoning, or Elevation, you know, the new one by Stephen King. By becoming a member, users receive one free audiobook a month, exclusive sales, and 30% off regularly priced audiobooks. Plus, your books are yours to keep. With Audible, you can go back and re-listen at any time, even if you cancel your membership. If that doesn't sound good enough, Audible is offering listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. Just go to audible.com/allball and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs. Download a title free and start listening. It's that easy. Go to audible.com/allball or text allball to five hundred five hundred to get started today. Let's take a deep dive into the Markel Fultz situation. Um, If you watch the video of him shooting a free throw, it's not good. There's like a double pump there. And it looks like Charles Barkley's golf swing is probably the best. If you haven't seen the video, the probably best description of it. I want to bring in Jake Rausch back. Jake was an assistant coach in Israel last year. He's been on the Temple staff previously. And um, uh, Jake, how would you describe exactly what you do outside of being a basketball coach?
1: Well, Doug, thanks for having me on. Uh, great chatting. Um, what I do is I help unblock players with a deep, unconscious, energe- energetic, habitual program or subconscious level of the mind or body. Now, oftentimes, guys get kind of stuck based on past experiences or injury situations. And my job oftentimes is, is the option of last resort, uh, uh, going in and helping those guys get unblocked and then improving their games.
2: Okay, so when you watch Markel, and, and everybody's pointing to the free throws, but look, he's got a hitch when he shoots jump shots. He clearly lacks confidence, and if you shot, you know, I don't know if you saw this, shots outside of five feet, he's shooting 8% from the floor, eight. Um, when you watch Markel, a guy who, we don't know how bad the injury was, but there was some sort of shoulder injury, some sort of impingement, but we don't think that's there anymore. Uh, I believe most of it is mental, but when you see it, what do you see?
1: Well, based upon dealing with guys in similar situations in the past and uh, kind of seeing their struggles, um, what I see, not knowing, again, I don't know the ins and outs of the situation, Doug, but I know what the general public knows and just kind of from my background, what I see is um, two elements. I What I would uh, bet is, He picked up stuff going through the injury recovery process with his shoulder. Um, Oftentimes, guys go through injury recovery, and when they're healing, they'll guard injuries, they'll protect injuries. Um, There's a lot of fear of re-injury with that stuff, and so when they get back on the court, especially with something so refined as a shooting motion, they are going to be hiccups and guarding, and what that does is it generates blocks in the unconscious mind. If that stuff isn't resolved and basically cleared out and healed, then you're going to have situations where guys struggle. The second piece to this is, you know, there's, there's the injury piece. But once guys get back on the court, there's so much pressure on Fultz right now. Um, you know, it feels like that every shot he takes, the whole world is watching him. You know, from a, from a, um, from a performance standpoint, a, a muscle memory standpoint, if you're already coming in imbalanced with your shot and then you have to add on this, this stuff and you have air balls upon air balls and bat shots, that's going to trap, uh, trap other unconscious blocks. So you're dealing with a twofold situation, that really, in my opinion, probably needs to be dealt with at a deep, deep muscle memory
2: level. There's a couple things. I do think that that one of the things that began was um, he he tried changing his shot before playing in the NBA, um, and this is one of the reasons that the Lakers the Lakers wanted to change Lonzo's shot. This past summer, not before he played in the NBA, they felt like, let him play, let him figure it out. We have more time after year one, between year one to year two, to fix it. Markel and his trainer they tried to fix it before year one, and he had some sort of shoulder injury. I don't know if it was caused by what it was caused by. So you have uh, changing the shot, which changes your muscle memory, some sort mm-hmm. of injury, a, a dramatic lack of confidence. And all of the pressure that comes with it. And now, like, I, I saw that there's a quote today Chris Broussard, uh, who works with us at Fox, said, you know, uh, that Jimmy Butler said he, he told somebody close to him he's not gonna coddle Markel Fultz. He's gotta play and play now. And I'm like, dude, what, what are you, you don't even, th- this is the biggest problem in basketball is there are guys who, and I, I didn't suffer from exactly what Fultz is suffering from, but there's some similar aspects to it which is like, look, did I go to the gym and make shots? That's not a problem. Uh, whether it was performance anxiety or whatever, um, I you know, I all of a sudden got to where I didn't think I should shoot because I didn't believe it was going to go. It I wasn't necessarily I didn't believe it was going to go in. I had a fear of being taken out of the game, and missing a shot. It's the same reason guys don't, you know, I could dunk real easily in college. And then my son asked me, you know, how many times you dunk in college? I said once. So why you dunk all the time in warmups? Yeah, why not? I'm like, well, because I didn't I didn't want to miss. Right. That's kind of why I didn't shoot. And then it becomes, you know, you miss. It becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Uh, my thing is, like Jimmy Butler, he, he, you're dealing with a mental health issue more than a physical health issue and maybe a combination of the both. It's really best if you stay out of this one, especially before you even kind of play with the kid. All right, so take me through the process. Let's say you're going to sit down with Markel Fultz. What's the process of fixing this? So,
1: Doug, the way that, that I work, the way I structure my, my program or my work is I actually uh, build a player development program uh, incorporating high-performance coaching, a lot of mindfulness um, um, uh, acupuncture-based techniques without the needles, Chinese medicine stuff, uh, techniques. And then, you know, you actually get on the court and and, and um, put it all together with skill development. So what I would do was actually sit down with him, work with him um, extensively over probably an eight to ten week period, maybe longer, um, maybe shorter, depending upon how he responds. Um, the way it will work is the way it worked effectively in the past for guys in similar situations, if you sit down off the court for a session or two per week and you actually identify the things in his past that really still bother him on an unconscious energetic level we're talking about the habitual patterning the muscle memory level that uh that basically taking another million shots is not going to fix if you don't address this first so by doing that off the court you get in you clear that out through different types of techniques uh mindfulness energy psychology um energy work quite frankly And then on the court, the second piece of that is you help him, you teach him techniques to stay locked in so that when he is at the foul line and stuff does come up as it inevitably will in terms of anxiety or pressure or whatever it might be, he's got go-to, go-to, already-honed techniques where he can go to and lean on to get back in his zone, if you will. The third piece of this is, again, this is like a perfect world scenario, Doug, is you're able to... Uh, coach him and remind him during practices and most importantly during games that when the bullets start flying, he's missed a couple shots, he's had a couple bad turnovers you remind him to go through the techniques and processes he, he would have already learned to basically stay in that high performance state and get over these blocks that he's been dealing with so you look okay, at but it how, look, how long?
2: Please, like, I, I understand you meet a couple times a week but it feels like this is like, so do you think he can play through it and go through this type of, uh, of mind body training? Or do you think he needs to not be playing? You know, h- how would you, if, if, again, perfect scenario, just let's just take yep. Markel Fultz. What do you do?
1: So he's going to have to play through it. I mean, this is the real world, right? I mean, you can't just sit him down and not play him. But um, again, with guys in similar situations from from experience in the past, the most usually the guys that improve the most are during the season because the rubber's meeting the road. There's basically um, a level of focus they probably wouldn't otherwise have if it wasn't in season. And so you deal with it on the fly. That's the best way to do it, Doug.
2: Yeah, see, I, I, I thought that holding him out of Summer League was a mistake, right? Because it becomes a bigger issue, and now all of a sudden when you do it, you have to... when, when you, know, you work with Drew Hanlon, and I think what they did, and I haven't spoken to Drew about it, in fairness to Drew... And he's very good at what he does as a skill developer. But, you know, fixing somebody's shot and taking thousands of shots like that doesn't that doesn't change what's going on in, in your brain. And that's the those synapses are not firing as much. And I almost feel like they made it worse by not allowing him to work through the mental blocks while working through the physical blocks during the summer league. And so now, listen, you're doing it with your NBA teammates and it, it only the pressure gets ramped up and it only becomes worse.
1: Can I can I give you a quick example? I uh, think of things, yeah. uh, an example might help. Um, people understand what we're talking about because obviously this is new. People are like, you know, a lot of people don't understand, exactly understand what we're talking about sometimes. But take the guy who shoots a million shots, great shooter. Example, Steph Curry. Take another guy who shoots a million shots he's not a good shooter. Well, the, the guy that shoots him, uh doesn't shoot well and he's taking the same amount of shots with probably the equivalent amount of ability. The stuff that I'm finding is the non-good shooter, is, is um, he might have had a, uh, a couple experiences in high school where he, he lost the state championship for his team because he, he missed free throws at the end of the end of the game or he went 0 for 11 in college and his coach got on him. Like, this stuff sticks with players if not dealt with. So that that's really the rub in this whole situation. Um, some athletes have it more than others, and some athletes really kind of just move through it and not, they're not affected at all. But when guys are affected by it, You know, you see kind of see what happens in a worst case scenario.
2: Yeah, it's it's honestly it's paralyzing, paralyzing. It's um, this is going to this is probably going to sound like I I think the one uh, like there's all kinds of terrible diseases, right? Like ALS is just it's so heart wrenching if you know anybody who's gone through it because their mind is still functioning perfectly. But their body quits on them. right That's what, that Lou Gehrigs disease. Your body quits on them. And no one who listens to this is going to get offended, but if somebody's going get offended. I'm just using it as a, an analogy. That's kind of what it's like as an athlete, where your mind is still functioning. You know how you're supposed to shoot the ball. But your body, and, and your body, and then the, the subconscious, is, is misfiring, and so you're so locked up that you can't do what you've done your entire life, right? Like, the, the example is, people remember me as an awful free throw shooter in college. My entire life up until I played in college, I was, the, I was the point guard who, when the game was, we're up three, up two, late in the game, hold the ball, make him foul, you step up to the line, make two free throws. I went from that to, dude, we gotta get him out of the game because he can't make free throws. And my shot looked better. My strength was better, my wrists were better, my legs were better, like all of that, but your your body doesn't respond properly to what your brain used to be doing because something in the subconscious is misfiring right that's a, that's how that's the that's the way I would explain it
1: and you you can also take the Nick Anderson scenario right where like you yeah. missed the four free throws at the end of a you know in the championship game, I'm not sure when mm-hmm. that was, but you know, the rest of his career, he basically tanked after that. That's like an extreme scenario. And the piece you're talking about, the most important piece to understand is if these guys would have wanted to change it, like if it was a conscious thing, they would have already changed it, right? They would have had the tools to change it, but it's not a conscious thing. It's an unconscious thing. So then, like you just said, you get real jammed up because when you, you get in situations, your programming, your performance programming, the way you operate on the court, is not in alignment with success. Once you actually get there and stuff, it's kind of out of balance.
2: Is he fixable?
1: Of course. He is fixable. It, I mean, and I hate, honestly, it's, there's so much scrutiny around the situation. Um, it, it's a lot. I'm sure it's a lot to take for him. But, you know, from my experience, he is most definitely 1,000% fixable. Um, it would take some time now. So we take some work and dedication and the most important thing with any player and any coaching is coaches always know is the guy is a player has to buy in, has to be like, all right, man, let's do this thing. Right. A thousand percent. But Doug, a thousand percent, he's fixable.
2: Do we get to a point though? Or is there a point of no return? That's that's, that's what I'm wondering. Is there a point to which you're like, okay, now you're to the Ricky and Keel had to change positions. Nick Anderson was washed. Is there a point of no, what, what's your greatest fixing story?
1: Uh, great question. So there was, there might be two. I'll give you the first one. We have time. The second one, great. Uh, there, was a, there was a guy last year, um, and I'm, there's a guy that we that played for our team last year. Uh, he was a longtime Israeli professional. Played in the league, played in the Super League, first division in Israel for 12 years. Um, had basically a similar situation as Martel Fultz had. Um, but he started lifting weights in the middle of his career, and it totally threw off his shot. Now, that that's, that's the outline, you know, obvious uh, reason why, but what it came down to was he was super anxious
0: uh, and had a lot of
1: fear around stuff in his life, and it manifested at the foul line. So basically, he shot 35% from the foul line for, say, six or seven seasons. Um, last season, he was shooting, he started the season out shooting 36%, right? Um, we worked for... Eight weeks, really, just zeroing in on his insecurity, his fear he felt, stuff that off the court that was affecting him, and guys in Israel, like everybody knows this player in Israel, he's what there, but like he's a lost cause. And by the time we were done, eight weeks later, he had improved his free throw percentage by seventeen percent. And because he improved his free throw percentage by seventeen percent, he was no longer scared to get to the foul line. So that meant around the basket he was finishing more, and he had more relaxation and confidence, meaning. His still goal percentage went up 12% because basically he was really unblocked and just playing with a lot of confidence and flow. So that's like, that's a real similar situation. And again, just like folks in many people's eyes is, is not, um, some might say not fixable. Same thing for this player in Israel. And he's doing just fine now. And uh, in, in Europe, playing in Europe and now playing in Israel both. Um, uh, the second guy was actually a longtime NBA veteran, played in the NBA for seven years, uh, was uh, bouncing around from Iran and the Czech Republic and all different places, and it ended up landing in Israel on our team last year. And so um big, thing, big knock on him throughout his career was he wasn't always locked in, he wasn't always aggressive, and most importantly, he wasn't consistent with his shooting and his scoring efficiency.
2: This is Daquan so Early Cook? on last
1: season, this was. This is Daquan Cook. Yeah. So if you watch Daquan Cook uh, in the past, you know he has a ton of talent. Uh, but sometimes he doesn't always put it together. Well, uh, you know, again, going back to early last season, he was struggling. We were able to get in over 10 weeks, work with him extensively. Again, this is on-court stuff, off-court stuff combined. This is like throwing everything at these guys to help him improve. And then he ended up improving uh, his three-point percentage by 8%. And then his points per minute, which was 0. .52, so he got 0. .52. And he ended up uh, improving that to 0. .72. Point seven two, and then he ended up leading the uh, Super League uh, in that uh, category. So, guys, you know, these are guys that are that are veterans, that are much older than Folks that are 31, 32, that are, you know, at the, the down slope of their, their career, and they're able to actually improve over the long term. Not, not a quick fix, not a short-term thing, but over the long term and by the numbers.
2: Jake Roushback, you can follow him on Twitter at MindRightPro, of course, also on, on Instagram as well. Man, that's great background stuff. Uh, I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. But I look forward to uh, talking with you in the near future and also seeing what happens with Markel, and we'll get you back to break down if you see improvement or if he remains stagnant or if they, if they, if they not stop playing him because it has gotten to the point where it's getting worse, not getting better. Thanks so much for joining us, Jake. Thanks, Doug. Hope you enjoyed this edition of All Ball. Gave you a little college, gave you a lot of mind mind basketball stuff, and gave you some NBA. Tell a friend to download, subscribe, and rate. Send me a question on social media, Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Instagram and Twitter are both at Gottlieb Show. Facebook, check out the Doug Gottlieb Show page. I'll answer it next week on All Ball.
0: a new weekend edition of CNN Five Things. That means you can find this goodness in the same feed as Five Things. Listen to Five Good Things on the iHeartRadio app. Welcome to the Scene to Scene podcast. I am your host, Valerie Complex. Today, I am chatting with Ji Young Yu. Ji Young stars as co-lead in the six-part limited series, Expats. I think I learn a little bit with every character that I play. I think usually I play a character and it causes enough